Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we focus on life after football. Many African footballers have hit hard times after retiring from the game. And we hear about a conference that was held in Cameroon on the transition of footballers into life after their playing days are over. It's really difficult because you just leave what you know and get into another world that you do not know. Also, the English Premier League season ends with Egypt's Mohamed Salah breaking records with Liverpool. He scored in 34 different games in all competitions, and that's at least four more than any other striker in Europe's top leagues. Well, that's coming up later, but first uh, to the CAF Champions League, and there were a couple of surprise results midweek on match day two as KCCA of Uganda beat eight-time champions Al-Athli of Egypt 2-0 in Kampala, and Al-Athli coach Hossam El-Badri resigned after the defeat. Barbani Swallows of Swaziland beat Primero Augusto of Angola 1-0. Both KCCA and Mbabani Swallows are their country's first teams ever in the group stage. Uh, These their first group stage wins. The defending champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco won 3-0 over Port of Togo in Group C. In Group A, Esperance of Tunisia, emphatic 4-1 winners over Botswana's Township Rollers. And in Group B, TP Mazembe of DR Congo had a useful 2-0 win away to Moroccan side Defar El Jadidi. So those are some of the highlights on match day two. And the next games will be played in July after the World Cup. So our main focus this week is life after football for African players. I'm sure that we all know of players who were our heroes on the pitch in years gone by. But now, after retiring, have come upon hard times. Some live in poverty or sickness. Some have even ended up as destitutes. A few have become successful as coaches or as business people. But sadly, they are in the minority. Well, in Cameroon, a conference has been held on the transition of footballers into life after their playing days are over. This report from Planet Sport Football Africa's Ngieno Ebai in Yaoundé. In recent times in Cameroon, tales of former footballers wallowing in abject poverty after hanging up their boots abound. Worst still, there are others who, after retiring from professional football, cannot afford basic health care when ill, simply because they do not have any money. Unfortunately for most of these retired footballers, amongst them former players of Cameroon's national football team, the Indomitable Lions, finding a job not related to football after quitting the pitch has always been an arduous task. But with the world of sports blossoming into a business ecosystem that offers a plethora of lucrative jobs, former footballers should be the first to enjoy these opportunities, though this is not what obtains in the country. Perhaps this is why officials of Cameroon's National Football Academy and AFUT decided to organize the first symposium on the career transition of a player. With several former and current footballers in attendance, guest speakers at the event included African goalkeeping legend Joseph Antoine Bell, 
Former Olympic de Marseille and Wigan athletic midfielder Salomon Olimbi, former Indomitable Lions striker now turned pundit Patrick Mbuma, and Arsenal goal-scoring legend Thierry Henry. During the two-day event, the resource persons shared their experiences with some footballers, admitting they have had a successful post-football life. Jules Denionana represented Cameroon in the 1990 FIFA World Cup and since retiring in 2005, he has tried his hand in several businesses. When I stopped playing football, I became a football agent. I built a soccer school and when I came back here in Cameroon three years ago, I went back to my old job and now I'm the boss of my secondary school and things are going quite good for now. If things have gone on well for Jules Denionana, the same cannot be said for former Indomitable Lions and Blomfontaine Celtic shortstopper Vincent Ongandi, who lost about a million pounds investing in different sectors. It's really difficult because you just leave what you know and get into another world that you do not know. After my career in Cyprus, you wanted to invest in Africa with solar energy and telecommunication services as well as insurance. I went to South Africa because I thought that it was better than in Cameroon at that particular time. At the end of the day, without any clue of the surroundings of that business, we got disappointed with one of our partners. There I lost uh, 150 million CFA friends. Then, coming back now to DRC, because I went to DRC with this project of uh, solar energy, I had to pursue something else, and I found that there was diamond in DRC. Then we started to sell and export diamond. I asked for Tanzanite in DRC. They brought me Amethyst, but thinking that it was Tanzanite. There I lost 50 million CFA francs. It was the second loss. Then I said, okay, let me get back to Cameroon because uh, in South Africa, you see timber. It's very expensive. I know that wood in Cameroon is cheap. I said, okay, this is a good business. We came down with some partners to open a medium transformation unit you know, to export timber to South Africa. At the end of the day, again, I ended up losing 200 million CFA francs. Those were my savings. You're just going like that. It wasn't easy. If I had some seminar while I was still playing to prepare that period, I would have better managed my savings. Considered a taboo topic, the issue of age cheating in football was discussed publicly for the first time in a major event. Goalkeeper Vincent Ongandi admitted that his month of birth was altered to permit him, a goalkeeping sensation back then, to compete for Cameroon in the junior category. He regrets this act and thinks it should no longer exist in football. Age reduction is not only in Cameroon, it happens all over the world. You know, to play some competitions, especially youth competitions, they give you a particular age and you go for the competition. You keep on with your career but having another identity. In my case, at the end of my career, I wanted to further my studies. All my diploma were validated, but I could not get inscription because of my identity, which was not the same as what I had in my diploma. I was born in April. They took me to November. It's no more the same person because you have to get into that competition. A lot of players are doing that today. It has to stop. We have to know that if you are talented with your age, you can play and you can help the upper selection of your country. Former Olympic of Marseille midfielder Salomon Olimbi believes for age cheating to end, it must begin in football academies. Olimbe holds that it is through proper education that footballers can be taught how to manage life after the pitch. 
I was in Nantes football club and in this club a lot of things is done to educate the young players, prevent them that football is a short career and you have to think about what you're going to do after football. When I was playing football I make a lot of investment but the most important thing for me is to perform my education, to have knowledge to some kind of job like management, marketing and other things. I can make a choice to become a trainer, to become a manager, to become a businessman. Cameroon's National Football Academy and Nafut will in the days ahead begin offering courses in video analysis, coaching and scouting. The Director General of Anafut, Carl Enongachu, believes these are sectors in which ex-footballers will easily flourish in. We want to offer them a platform in such a way that they can integrate themselves into the society either during their active period and even after. So we shall be offering a series of training courses that will permit them to integrate themselves into the society. We have video analysts. You cannot win a game without knowing how the opponent plays. You cannot win a game without knowing how fit your players are. We have training courses for sport journalists, courses also for coaches. We have many, many professions that we're going to offer in the days ahead. Many hope that when these courses get on the way, tales of former footballers living in terrible conditions in Cameroon may just be a story of the past. That report from Planet Sport Football Africa's and GA Eno Ebay in Yaoundé in Cameroon. Well, Solomon, great to hear about this initiative and these ideas. And very interesting, I thought, to hear about the confession of age cheating there. But uh, focusing on the issue of life after football, it is so sad to see those players who were our heroes ending up struggling when they retire. There's no doubt that many African footballers do need a lot of guidance like this because many don't seem to think about what will happen after their time as players. And challenges are going to come, struggles are going to come in life just for every other person. But how you prepare for it is very, very important. And I think a lot of the footballers don't prepare well enough for it uh, to be able to make sure that when the struggle comes, when love after football, when the adoration, the cheers stop coming, when the money dries up, you don't get a salary anymore, uh, what are you going to do? When you don't have a mentor, when you don't have a guide, then you tend to make so many mistakes. And I think a lot of them do make mistakes because they don't have the right guidance. You, We tend to uh, come close to uh, African footballers, families come close to them, and also friends come close to them just to get from them, but not to help them prepare for life after football. Football is such a, a very short career. We all need guidance. We all need somebody that can guide us through life. How are you going to make sure you're equally successful when you move to that field? And that's why we need guidance. We need young players, as young as uh, possible, to be able to understand the importance of that. Not when they are just about to retire or after retirement. That would be too late. Sure. And uh, Solomon, besides this idea of having seminars or talks for players, uh, what else would help to give players a better life after their playing days? Because I guess they also need mentors, uh, older people who can guide them, for example. I think there are so many ways, uh, you know, uh, having seminars and talks, they go a long way in helping players. But at the same time, we need to see a lot of actions. You know, we need to see, uh, you know, uh, players getting mentors from a very young age, either mentors in business, mentors in politics, mentors in education, mentors in farming, if they want to go into farming, but people that are really credible. You know, left for me, Steve, I would actually advise every club and every 
national team in Africa to make sure that each African player is somehow advised to set up a trust where money goes into that trust and and stay in there and that money can only be accessed in, in the next 15, 20 years after their retirement. That way they're going to have make sure that they ask, there is some money there that is building up. They can take care of their family. They can take care of their health, their children. They can send them to school. We also need to make sure that whilst you're playing football, you get some sort of education. It should be uh, a responsibility of the FA to protect them just so they will mature because for a lot of them they come from homes that is just poverty stricken and now they have the wealth obviously they would not know what to do with it because they never had that much wealth before so that is very important for us to be able to do that because if we don't do that more and more african players will turn into destitute and more and more society would be affected and it's so sad to walk on the street and to see your hero living a life that is so unlike what you had imagined watching them on TV. So I, I really want to see quite a lot of changes when it comes to really helping these players uh, to live a better life after their playing days. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks very much, Solomon. And this week on social media, we're asking for your views on this. What could be done to make life after football better for players? As we've heard, many African players have hit hard times after retiring from the game. What do you think can be done to give our players a better life when they end their playing days? You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us your thoughts on WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Once you've downloaded, you can listen to the show anytime on the app and access past programs too in our archive. And now we turn to social media and the 2018 World Cup is getting ever closer, uh, just four weeks away now. And on last week's show, we asked when will an African team win the World Cup or even will it ever happen? Well, once again, we've had a huge response, so we'll try and read out as many comments as possible, but uh, sorry if we don't to get to yours. On Facebook first, and Gibber Nuha says, I think the greatest footballer in history once said Africa can win the World Cup, but I don't think it will ever happen due to our poor performance in recent years. And uh, yes, Gibber, that was Brazilian legend Pele, who once said that an African team would win the World Cup before the year 2000, although sadly that prediction didn't come true. Also on Facebook, a colleague Tumani in the Gambia is also pessimistic. In my opinion, it's not going to happen, says Kali, unless and until most of our African players stop playing for European nations. Pogba, Evra, Kante, Sane, you name them, all have African heritage, but they've decided to turn their backs on their African countries for European ones. How can we win the World Cup in such situations, asks Kali. But Baitan Mchiko in Malawi is a little more positive. When we start playing real football and have more competitive players like Mo Salah, then we might win the World Cup, says Baitan. On to what's up now, and Abdullah Nying in the Gambia is also positive. 
I believe an African country might win the World Cup over the next seven editions, but that can only happen if we change our ways of approaching the game tactically and technically, says Abdullahi. We do have the talent in Africa and we can do it. Stanley in Ghana is even more optimistic. An African team will definitely win the World Cup, says Stanley. When the African players start to believe in themselves, they can do it. Most of them are excelling at various clubs, so if they can put the same effort for their country, they'll definitely win it, says Stanley. But Gemo, a Cameroonian living in the United States, is more cautious. It's hard to pick an era when an African team will win the World Cup, says Gemo, because there's too much work to be done in almost every aspect of the game. The management and mentality part of the game are vital if any African team is going to ever win the tournament. When the FAs start doing their job properly and the players focus on playing with the mentality of knowing they can win it, most likely then an African team can win the World Cup. In the Gambia, Haji Nimaga can't see Africa winning the World Cup because he says we lack the technical management and have financial problems. We always welcome your voice notes and uh, from the Gambia, here's Cherno Jallo. I believe an African team will do the unexpected one day. But when will this happen? Not in the short run, but I believe in the next five editions, at least an African team will win the World Cup. Thanks for that, Cherno. Let's hope that you will be proved to be right there. Uh, Silas Ankiambom Ngong in Cameroon thinks it may be possible if six conditions are met. One, if football from the base is highly encouraged so that training starts early. Two, when national championships are well coordinated, planned and financed. Three, when there'll be appropriate infrastructure. Four, if there's a reasonable and feasible plan to win one. Five, when money and power become secondary to the practice of football. And six, when game officials stop cheating, says Silas. But Biswek Njakwa in Malawi disagrees. It won't happen, says Biswek. If anything, it would have happened in the years past when the likes of Zambia, South Africa, Nigeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Egypt, Mali and Cameroon were all in super form. They were much better than the performance of many African teams today who can't match the standard of European and South American teams these days. So by far, we can't win the World Cup, says Biswek. To Uganda now, and Jimmy James Perez, he says, what makes it impossible for Africa to win is that we all think Europeans are the best ever, yet we can copy and translate their success into our own. Our African players going to Europe for professional football will gain experience, but Africa will stay in the shadow of the Europeans if it's like that. Blessings Nyerenda in Malawi thinks hosting the competition is the key. I think it'll take a long time for an African nation to win the World Cup, says Blessings. The only way is when African countries are frequently hosting the event so that we can have any confidence of winning it. And finally on this topic, Musa Kamara in the Gambia says, uh, I can't see it happening right now, and maybe not until around 2050 or later. Well, thanks so much for all of those thoughts there. And finally, on social media, Andrew Jassy in the Gambia says, Bravo to the Gambia for winning the Wafu Under-20 Championship trophy. We're proud of them and know one day the Gambia will be a powerful footballing nation by the grace of God. Well, congratulations indeed uh, to listeners in the Gambia for taking the West African Under-20 Championship recently. 
Well, this week on social media, we're asking what can be done to make life after football better for players. As we focused on earlier, many African players have hit hard times after retiring from the game. A few do do well as coaches or as business people, but sadly they are in the minority. So what do you think can be done to give our players a better life when they end their career as players? Go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Now let's focus on the English Premier League as the season ended last Sunday with Manchester City the champions and becoming the first team to reach 100 points. Uh, Chelsea missed out on a place in the Champions League. They'll play Manchester United in the final of the FA Cup this Saturday. And Liverpool's Mohamed Salah made history, scoring 32 goals this season. Well, our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Uh, let's start with Salah Stewart. Uh, what a season for the Egyptian. His 32 goals surpasses the 31 of Alan Shearer, Cristiano Ronaldo and Luis Suarez. And great credit is being given to Salah as he's essentially a winger rather than a centre-forward. Yes, Steve, as you say, uh, 32 goals in the uh, Premier League is a record for a 38-game season. And in fact, he scored against 17 of the other 19 Premier League clubs. He scored 32 goals in the season, whereas West Bromwich Albion only scored 31, Swansea and Huddersfield 28 each. That is Salah himself scoring more goals than the combined total of three Premier League teams. He scored in 34 different games in all competitions, and that's at least four more than any other striker in Europe's top leagues. Another interesting stat is that he had 282 touches in the opposition penalty area, which is more than any other player in the Premier League. And that shows he doesn't just stand and wait for someone to give him the ball to score. He works in the penalty area. And from this, it's very easy to reflect on what a great player Salah is. But think back to the start of this season. Salah came to Liverpool as a player who'd been in the Premier League before at Chelsea and had really failed to make an impression. He was signing for a Liverpool side that already had Firmino, Sadio Mane, Daniel Sturridge. It was a fair question, would he get on the starting lineup? And also with Jurgen Klopp liking his strikers to work, press and even defend, how much scope would he have to score? Well, hasn't he proved all the doubters wrong and answered all those questions. What a year he's had. Yes, and uh, Salah won the Premier League's Player of the Season award along with the PFA Player of the Year and the Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year awards. Well, another African player who did really well this season without getting as much attention, maybe, is Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the former African Player of the Year. He moved to Arsenal mid-season and was directly involved in 14 goals in just 13 Premier League games. Uh, that was 10 goals and 4 assists, Stuart. Yes, uh, to score 10 goals in 12 starts plus 1 sub-appearance is a brilliant start. And he finished the season with a flourish, scoring 4 goals in the last 3 games of the season. And in an earlier spell, he scored in 4 successive games. So certainly a good start a good adjustment to the Premier League. Of course, now the issue for him is having been signed by Arsene Wenger 
who will be the new coach at Arsenal? What system will the new coach adopt? Will he fit into that new system as well as the old one? I mean, potentially, it's like uh, starting again in the Premier League for him next year. But he has the talent and he's certainly adjusted pretty well so far. Well, it's hoped that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang will build on the good start that he's made in the English Premier League. And uh, Stuart, can you put Manchester City's achievements this season into perspective for us? Well, Manchester City got 100 points, and that was 19 more than Manchester United, who were second. They also scored 106 goals. They won 32 of 38 league games, drawing four and losing only two. Now, it's a far cry from the exciting end to the 2012 Premier League, which City won against Manchester United on goal difference and not with a last-minute goal. This season, they were absolutely dominant. But for me, the question is, does their margin of victory prove that they are an outstanding team or does it say something about the quality of the Premier League this season? And I think it's a bit of both. Chelsea, the defending champions, were a big disappointment, finishing fifth and losing 10 games. Arsenal lost 13 games and really never challenged. Manchester United managed to finish second in the league despite losing to the three promoted clubs and the bottom club West Brom. Tottenham never really looked like challenging for the title and Liverpool, despite beating Manchester City three times, didn't have the consistency to challenge for the title. And I would also say that none of the eight bottom clubs could have complained if they'd been relegated. So in a sense, there were perhaps a certain number of easy points available in the Premier League more than usual. But Manchester City were very good, and the fact that no other club really challenged them isn't their fault. But what I would love to have seen is the current Manchester City team competing against, say, Alex Ferguson's best Manchester United team, or the Arsenal Invincibles, which went a whole year without losing. And then we would know how good they are. And of course... When you compare Alex Ferguson's great teams, they did it year in, year out. Manchester City will have to continue to win trophies for the next five years before they really reach that level. All right, OK, so you still need a bit of convincing. And at the other end of the table, Stuart, uh, Swansea with the Ghanaian brothers Andre and Jordan Ayew were unable to avoid relegation. You know, Swansea is a funny team, Steve. Roberto Martinez was manager of Swansea from 2007 to 2009, and he is the last manager of the club to last two years in the job. Since then, they've had nine managers or head coaches, and none of them have lasted two years, some not even one season. Last season, they appointed the American Bob Bradley, and he was gone in three months. Paul Clement came in to replace him, but halfway through this season, he was gone to be replaced by Carlos Carvajal. And speculation is that Carvajal will not stay beyond the end of the season. So I think the lack of continuity of manager cannot have helped the club in their struggles to stay in the Premier League. Now, Jordan Ayew had a good season, starting 33 games and scoring seven goals. And the goals he scored were important ones, like the winner against Watford. He scored in the win against Arsenal. He scored in three one-all draws against Everton, Newcastle and Crystal Palace. Brother Andre, who signed mid-season, had 10 starts but failed to score. And I think you'd have to say it was a disappointing time for him. Wilfred Bonney from Cote d'Ivoire, a star with Swansea in his first spell at the club, 
scored in the win against West Brom. But then after only eight starts, he got a serious injury and was out for the rest of the season. And that certainly didn't help Swansea. But now all three of those Africans will start next season in the championship. And we don't know even who will be the head coach. Well, a shame for Swansea and their African players. And what else caught your eye, Stuart? Now, I saw some interesting statistics on the season. Wilfred Ndidi, Leicester's Nigerian player, made most tackles in the Premier League this season, 138. And second behind him was Everton's Senegalese player, Idrissa Gay, with 117. Third was N'Golo Kanté of Chelsea, and of course his family are from Mali. So it's interesting that the stereotype of the African player as a forward who stands in the penalty area and is a bit lazy is completely blown away as the three most hard-working players in the Premier League this season were all Africans. Yes, that is uh, quite remarkable. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, What a season it was in the English Premier League. Uh, Chelsea-Manchester United in the FA Cup final this Saturday. And then the following week, the European season ends with the UEFA Champions League final, Liverpool against Real Madrid. Well, looking forward to that. And uh, before I go, must mention Ghana's Emmanuel Boateng, who got a hat-trick for Levante as they ended Barcelona's 44-game unbeaten run in the Spanish La Liga in a dramatic 5-4 win last Sunday. Great achievement there for Emmanuel Boateng of Ghana and Levante. Well, that's it for the show for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.